just want to riff on this idea of faith, yes? We all know the word faith, yes? Yeah. So, on page 53, at the bottom of page 53, in We Agnostics, Bill W., I don't want to go out through the whole thing, but I'll tell you what it means. This is, he's talking about someone, he's talking about people who are finding a lot of reasons not to participate in AA, basically. Yeah, so, and he's been trying to convince them, page after page, you know, to make it palatable to come in here. <laughs> well, so here it goes. It goes, without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith, meaning being fucked, yeah? For did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? What was that but a sort of faith? Yes, we had been faithful, abjectly faithful, to the God of reason. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. Not all the time in 1935, like all the time. So, I saw it with the thought system. If there's faith, and faith, to me, is a force of mind, big M mind, or let's say a force of spirit. Use the word spirit, right? It's a force of spirit. It's pretty much neutral, but here it can go, it's going to express itself or manifest by the vehicle it's put in here. So if you have faith in the thought system, it's going to produce tons of anxiety from fields called what's not happening. Yeah? If, you don't, if the faith in the thought system can be relieved and that faith goes into spirit, you'll feel an ease and comfort in your skin right now. It's the same faith. It's the same energy. It's sort of like the same electricity can either, you know, if it goes through a smoother, it makes a smoother. If it goes through a toaster, it makes a toast, yes? It's the same juice. The vehicle uh, sort of uh, dictates how it's going to manifest, yes? It's effects. So faith is sort of like a force of, like, electricity. It's available, and it's usually being more focused in the mind, in the brain. So when people have belief in the thoughts that they're having, and the thoughts are about yesterday... Or end or tomorrow, then yes, then the thoughts about yesterday can produce an effect right now. So it can override the effect of being here by by a thought about being there and that you will be somewhere. That's the power of mind. So he's basically saying here, he's telling us that in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. So every day, faith is the main generator. If you have faith in the thought system, it's going to produce anxiety. Where is the anxiety going to be produced from? Not now, because there is no apparent threat right now. It's going to be produced in the past and the future. It's going to use the past and the future. But where are you going to feel it is you're going to feel it now. What happens in AA? AA has a process and a way of life that, get, that can transfer the faith we have in the failed system to a successful system. It talks about it in the fear inventory. It says, perhaps there's a better way, trusting something infinite rather than finite self. How do you demonstrate trust in finite self? You believe the thoughts in your head. That's it. You're either an ill patient or a well patient, basically. Basically, based on the thoughts. And not on the thoughts, your interest in the thoughts. So if my interests are in the thoughts, my faith are in the thoughts, faith about next week can override the event of today. So a lot of people, if you're here right now, the door isn't locked. This isn't a draft. You can leave at any time. So if you're flipping out right now, it has nothing to do with right now. It has to do with last week or next week. And how is is next week, which isn't happening, how is next week having the ability to produce an effect now? Faith. Our faith in it. We believe next week 
is so fucking real, it's more real than now because we want to get out of right now, basically all the time. And so what easier way than to get promised about next week? Even if it's a shitty promise, it actually will dominate your day. So most of us aren't living life as, as it's happening. We're living an interpretation of life as it, that life's happening to me. And that me is what's being presented in your freaking head. The disease rests, is focused, it's, it resides in the mind. That's where the activity of alcoholism is. It's in the thought system. And as Bill W. says, he says in the inventory on fear, he says, why do you and I have so much fear right now? Yes, us. He, do, he says, why do we have so much fear? And thank God he doesn't let him ask, answer because it'd be 800 pages of stories. Yeah? He says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? See, people, a lot of people assume fear is a huge cause of a lot of things, and it is. But fear is caused by something else, which is self-reliance. Follow it. He says it beautifully. Why are, you, why are we in so much fear today? Isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? Self-reliance, a failed system, if there's a reliance on it, it's not going to produce faith and confidence. It's going to produce erosion and anxiety. That same faith, if it could be missed, if it could be directed to another source, that same faith would be the basis of your ease and comfort and your ability to sense contentment and be satisfied. It would be the same same. It's the same energy. Puts goes into a smoother, makes smoother. Goes into a toaster, makes toaster. This energy goes into an active alcoholic, produces tons of fucking anxiety. Goes into a recovered alcoholic, fucking has an ease and comfort because we're living a day at a time. Same, same, same energy. It's just, you're like the spigot, I'm like the spigot. You're the hot and cold. We don't even know it. We don't even know what's happening here. We're a product of so many things going on. Not very few of us have, we've never even gotten close to the blueprint room. As Bill W. says, you've got to get down to the exact nature of the wrong and see the causes and conditions. You're, in a sense, the cause, and it's based on your condition. You also are the solution, and that's based on your condition. What is the most dominant aspect of your condition? What you have the faith in. If you have the faith in your thought system, you're saying, fuck, Milestone. And if you walk out of here with that thing, you'll be fucked. Over and over and over again. Yet you'll be right about Milestone. <laughs> fuck, Milestone. I'll show them. Yeah, you have showed us the same fucking story over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're unique? There's been thousands of us. <laughs> Fuck you, and then you're fucked all the time. <laughs> there is a solution. Get down to the nub of things. This program right in is where we're at is doing you a great service. It's taking a lot of pressure of everyday life away so that you can focus on a change of mind. And the thing is, you're not going to change it. This program is going to change you. This isn't about changing anything. It's about being changed. You surrender, you submit, you take suggestions, and you get to be changed. And other people who've gone through a lot of changes will assure you, hey, trust the process, because it works. Simple as that. What would cause a big snag is your faith on those little hidden advisors late at night saying, fuck this, fuck that. I'm missing, I'm missing out on all, so all my fun. Is it that much fun? Really? How could fun be fun if it leads you to a place like this? I'm not saying it's not great, but really, you have to see that there was fun, but there was a whole lot of a whole other aspect I wasn't aware of, which is fucking consequences. 
And I don't know about you, the consequences piled up. And the consequences became the much more influential state that I was in than my little temporary highs. The bondage of self is an activity. If it was bondage to self, self would be a thing like a chair, and we would be bonded to it by uh, the courts, the state, you know, the alcohol and the drugs would have a handcuff on us, the innocent bystander, and we would be bonded to self, but it's bondage of self. It's an activity. It's not to, it's not a thing, it's of. It's an activity. Please relieve us of the bondage of self. Where does the problem reside? In the mind. How, what would you call the mind? A giant compilation of thoughts. What are the most thoughts being seen to, seen to be? Very unique and special. What happens when you go to an AA meeting and everyone shares their thoughts? It sounds like a lot of people have your thoughts. Then how the hell could you say they're yours if a lot of people have them? And then you start seeing, hey, we got the same fucking space helmet on, breathing the same atmosphere, getting the same messages from a fucking crazy Houston, and therefore we're walking on... You know what I mean? (laughs) The thing is, is if you just take off the helmet... But if you call the helmet you, see, there's a, there's a book in, re, in recovery by Chuck C., uh, A New Pair of Glasses. Right? So basically, in a way, I think that's sort of assuming we're looking at life through already a pair of glasses called alcoholism. And if you, find, you get a new pair of glasses and put them on the other glasses, the new pair will distort the, the, uh, the dimensions of, or the crazy or the misperceptions of the first pair of glasses, yes? So a new pair of glasses. But in fact, if you actually checked it out, what you're calling, right? Your eyes are a pair of glasses. You're looking alcoholically onto life. You're looking like an addict on life. That's a pair of glasses. You don't need a new pair of glasses. What you need to do is recognize the possibility the old pair of glasses could be removed. They're not your eyes. It's like, let's say I had a big tumor on my side. Yeah? And so I just assumed it was me. Big tumor. I didn't ask for anybody's advice. This big tumor. So then I would get my shirts tailored to make, you know, make room for the tumor. And it was nice while I was driving. I could use it as an armrest. And then I was going on very, very unique sites on the internet looking for women who had tumors on the other side so that we, you know, we can meet and rub together or something. And so then I, I, my whole life, you know, I've assumed it's me, so I'm living as a tumor, you know. I've got a tumor. It's not even I've got a tumor, I am a tumor, yeah. And then maybe someone comes up one day and says, hey, bro, you can have that removed. But wouldn't that kill me? No, it's not you. It's a growth on you, yeah. You're fine. You'll be fine without it. You don't need it. But see what happens what it runs into is when you hear that news, which sounds like it would be greatly, incredibly liberated, your mind goes, I got all those fucking tailored shirts. <laughs> I've, been, I've been invested a lot. I've invested a lot being this fucking tumor. You know what I mean? My jacket's from Italy. My girlfriend, what is she going to think? <laughs> so, you know, you would think you would go, yes, a great answer. Get the tumor removed. But... The way what you're relying on sees it as a threat. Yeah, because the tumor is jacking into your head saying, you, you are a tumor. <laughs> your life is about my life. You're going to do what I want you to do. Yes, that's what it is. You're being driven. I'm being driven by alcoholism. All your choices, how could they be yours if so many people made the same fucking choices? I mean, so many people have gone through the exact thing you're going through. Same thing. Yeah? Over and over again. Thousands, millions of us. Yeah? Something is leading the fucking, uh, you know, when they're, t- when they're taking horses across the fucking thing. What is that? <laughs> Someone's leading the herd. Yeah? There's not millions of us. 
there's millions of hosts in one parasite called alcoholism. And if you don't know, it's, it's not a thing, but it's very parasitical. It doesn't have a life. It needs to suck off of yours. And you can't tell me, have you meet, known someone who's been sober for a year, and then they go out, they look totally different. Their eyes change, their demeanor, their tightness. They, something else got in the driver's seat. You're not even, you're like a four-door sedan. They're coming in every which way. Probably. You're thinking, you're, oh, it's just me. It's, it's never been just you. Have you ever seen it? Someone, I had, like I talked last night, This my first fairy princess in AA. 20, 21 years later, sober 21 years. Helps a lot of people, does this and does that. Starts drinking without telling anybody and still going to meetings. And then the fucking drink had her. <laughs> and then she's been in and out for seven years. She's gone to the meadows in Arizona, high-end retreat, I mean, things in Utah. She's had sober friends living with her to watch over her. She's had it all, and she just keeps on keeping on, drinking seven years in her 50s. That all those qualities that were given through her by that spirit, she may have come to the idea that they were hers, but now they're not there anymore, and she still seems to be there. Yes? Something else has occupied the space. Something else is running the show. So, why do we have so much fear today? Isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So, fear is an effect of self-reliance. If the self-reliance can be shifted, yes, to something else, the fear will diminish. Not by a frontal attack, but by just affecting its cause. When its cause is affected, the effects of the cause are affected. Yes? What do we do with the third step? We know, AA knows we're overmatched, so the point is to make a decision to turn one's will and life over to the care of a higher power, of your own understanding. Yes? Because we can't even do that. It's not our life to say we can turn it over. We've been taken, basically. But we have a process that if you do and go under the influence of, it will weaken severely the parasite, and then the light that's always been available at all times will start showing up and actually be influential in your life. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe... You've been what you've been looking for. That's what's happened with me. Yeah. Now my life, my day starts at contentment, and I'm not looking for contentment all day. <coughs> I'm satisfied, so I'm not looking for satisfaction all day. Yeah. So this... So then, we do this program, and then we can leap into these conditions. He says, this is supposedly could occur around the 10th step, but it could occur at any time. Yeah? And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. Not just alcohol, anything or anyone. Cease fighting. It's not meaning we accept everything but we see sighting it, yes? Even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. The sanity, that is the opposite of the insanity that precedes the first drink. This program isn't about getting sane. It's about getting sane over one aspect of insanity, which is the insanity that precedes the first drink. Where does that insanity that precedes the first drink appear? In one's head. That's what AA does. Because I'll tell you something. It's the first drink that gets you drunk. Yeah? Abstinence is the key. And you may think ab- abstinence is like a fucking prison sentence, but it is a very spacious place. In abstinence, you're free. 
There's no like everyday thinking, should I or shouldn't I? It's all done. It's like it says right here in this book. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot plane. This isn't effort. This is reaction from a place. You're already in the place, and you're reacting to something from there. This isn't effort. We react sanely and normally. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I know. More sane and more normal. I don't know about normal. Let's say more sane. And we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It doesn't sound like we have a lot to do with this. It sounds like we've stayed on the operating table long enough and some effects are starting to show themselves through the operation, which we are the field of effect. We will see that our new attitude toilet has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. And that is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality. Safe and protected. What's an appropriate response to being safe and protected? Relaxing, yeah? Chilling out. You can let, you can finally unwind. The parasite has been subdued, and now you can get on with life in a certain way without being the fucking sabotager of it all. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. Now that's a damn good solution. If you've been an addict and an alcoholic, and that has hounded your life since you were 13 years old, for that to be removed is no other than a huge freaking miracle. Because no other human power could produce it, but suddenly something happens, and it occurs, with you, with you having no thought or effort around it. Yes? The problem has been removed. It's not the problem has been wrestled into submission only to arise in round three. The problem, it's not like one of those movies where, you know, you think the enemy's dead and then they have die hard seven and they eat a knife. It's fucking no. It's like the problem has been removed. Like the tumor has been removed. You will recognize the tumor when it starts crawling towards you to reattach. You'll see the tumor. It's like that movie, the first blob movie. It was like this giant jello that moved like one second a mile, you know, one one mile a second, you could go, oh, there's the blob, let's have a picnic. And <laughs> it'll, catch us, it'll catch up to us in August. It was like, the, there was no fear factor, yes? The fucking thing couldn't move. It's sort of like if you had one of those freezing sprays, you fi- if you could see the parasite, you froze it, and it froze up. But you have to keep freezing it once a day, every day, <laughs> because it'll come too. <laughs> you can't kill it. You can't kill it because, in a sense, it, it travels with you. It's interwoven with you. It will always be a latent possibility. Really, just waiting... It won't show itself for a while, but if you stop doing something or you start doing other things, and then who knows, in a little bit of time, it shows its ugly head, and it starts talking to you, and then suddenly it starts talking as you, and then you're on a run. You know, that's what happens, isn't it? If you have a little freedom from it, it sounds like something's talking at you, trying to get you to do something. When it finally gets you convinced to follow with it, it talks as you. It's like the it's a it's like the possession is complete. 
you're basically, for all inherited pers- uh, reasons, you're it. We are, so it does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. All right, so here it goes. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program. So they would talk about the daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Yes? Now, what would happen if you realize you are a spirit? Wouldn't it be a higher form of maintenance to be the condition that you're trying to maintain? You know, if to be spirit would be maintenance in and of itself, because being is a verb. It's being, yeah. So that is being, and to me, that's the highest level of maintenance. When you see that you're not what you were taking yourself to be, you may find that your spirit as the primary condition, and that knowledge, or that not even it's not knowledge, it's being it. That being it is the highest form of maintenance. You're awake to being awake. What does the spiritual awakening do? It doesn't produce awakeness. We are inherently awake. Every one of us here. You may not think so, but you're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and you're not really working hard at seeing, are you? Nor are you working hard at hearing. It doesn't really seem like the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching exhibits any thought or effort. It sort of sounds like the gift of AA, in a way. Because it's the same source. Consciousness or awareness isn't efforting to be conscious. It's not doing consciousness. That's its nature. And I would say that's our nature. As Jesus says, you know, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of the Spirit. We, everyone here is inherently awake. Some of us here are hell-bent on seeming not to be awake. And other people have surrendered, and now they're seeming awake to being awake. And one produces a stabilized traveling lighter. The other, you'll be the star of it, (laughs) 24-7. It'll be all about you. All day, every day. (laughs) We can't make the move from a failed system to a workable system. We can be moved from a failed system to a workable system. Perhaps there's a better way. What is it? Trusting something infinite rather than our finite self. Self isn't us. Our finite self. And then go back to page 64... Being convinced that self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. Again, us is different than self. Trusting something infinite rather than the finite self, the thought system. (coughs) That's the shift. It's not even, it's faith in the thought system. Yeah? The program will move that faith to something infinite. And the same energy will produce unbelievably different effects. Yeah. And after a while, you'll thank in some way that you're a fucking addict and alcoholic because it led you to this. Seriously. And that blossoming or a very small little sapling will get supported to grow because there's meetings all around the world. You know, some people go to church once a week. AA knows what's happening. There's meetings every hour on the hour, every day. Everywhere. We have over 700-something meetings in San Francisco a week. Probably 800 now. A lot, all day. Because AA knows what we're up against. We're overmatched. This thing is working in us, and, it, and it's claimed to be us. When we go into our intimate, most intimate little secrets, it's there. We're calling a parasite me. Let's say there was a bug came in here, a big bug flew in, and that bug landed on my arm. What would my natural reaction be? Quickly, knock it off, right? Let's say it flew in 20 times, I'd do the same thing. Right? Knock it off, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off. The parasite of alcoholism is such a hostile parasite, 
it has come up with the greatest fucking strategy of all. It convinces the host that it's the host. So now you don't recognize it as other or something else, so you don't even know you can knock it off. Or you could allow it to be knocked off through the program. You think it's you. And you, you'll fucking die to be right about that. You'll be claiming all of its expressions is yours. Yes? This is what it says on page 64. It says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways, we will now look at its, meaning selves, that's a foreign installment. It's, it says self and us. We're the us. Us means plural, yes? Self means singular. There's many hosts, one parasite. Alcoholism. That parasite, we'll call it self, it manifests in lots of ways that defeat us. Yes. When we're convinced of that, we will now look at some of its common manifestations in our lives. And the next paragraph is resentment. Starts off with resentment. Resentment is the number one offender. So... If you look at it with this logic, resentment is an expression of self through our life. Yes? So self has taken us over, and one of its very, very typical expressions is resenting. Yeah? You see threats where there aren't any threats. Yes? And you'll, you'll fucking harbor, harbor an injury in the past, and you'll dwell on it. That's resentment. That is a manifestation of self. Why do you keep calling it yours? Why do you keep calling fear your fear when it isn't your fear? It's produced by self. It, it's produced by faith in self is what's producing the fear. Faith in the thought system, in what's reading your situations and conditions, what's forecasting how fucking crazily shitty it's going to be, is what's promoting an atmosphere of fear. Only faith could make something out of nothing. We're miracle workers. You know, Laz you know, Jesus supposedly raised Lazarus from the dead, but at least Lazarus was alive at one time. We're making shit out of nothing. All day. All freaking day. You're doing it right now. You're not. That's the good news. The head's doing it right now. It's making shit out of nothing. How could next week eclipse tonight? Unless that which is all there is, which is us, believed it could. We've lent faith to the parasite. And now it's producing a life from its point of view. Did you really... I'm telling you, partying ended so many years ago, then it became an occupation. It wasn't fucking partying. It was serious business. There was not much fun anymore. How can you really have fun if you know you're going to hear the knock on the door from the police? That's, you can't really enjoy any peace of mind. Yeah? You're ravenous. Something took you, and you're basically like a rat. Driven to the same cheese all the other rats are driven. Wanting to escape, wanting to get out of me as a me. Just like we say in AA, self cannot get out of self. When you're identified as self and you're trying to be trying not to be an alcoholic, you're more of one. You've got to see that you're not a self, and that's how you escape. Yeah? And we can't come to that site, but AA can lead you to that site. If the parasite got diminished enough, you'd see anew. You'd have a new attitude and a new outlook, which is beautiful. He uses the word new. It's not a revamped attitude and outlook. They're not a, you know, renovated attitude and outlook. It's a whole new way of looking at things, yeah? And you'll have a new freedom and a new happiness. Not what we call freedom, but a new freedom. You'll get, to used, to, you'll get used to all different states of how to travel a day at a time. And you'll find an ease and comfort where you could never find an ease and comfort because the ease and comfort will be coming from you. Yeah. You will be 
you will do service, yes? And in doing service, you'll have a, an experience, and that's usually you feel available. Some, you feel bigger than you usually are. You feel brighter than you usually are. And a lot of us say, man, I always feel the higher power's presence when I'm doing service, yes? What happens if, after that happens many times, you realize you are that presence? And that means you're always available. And that means you are of service, now you have a new attitude of service, a new outlook of service. You are the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit isn't wasing and willing, it ising. It's being. Therefore, you're present. And if you're present, you're available. And if you're available, you're of service. You may not recognize it, but you'll be put to use quite a lot. And in being put to use, you'll feel better than all the times you ever used somebody else. You'll start really feeling pretty fucking good. Yeah? To me, the hose finds its fulfillment when it feels the water moving through it. To me, the water is the spirit. And the spirit will come through us when we're in service. And I don't believe you have to have something to give it away. I believe if you're willing to give it away, you'll have it. That's just how it's worked for me. So if you can humbly admit, see, I had it forced down my throat that I'm not managerial quality. But when I finally got it, it really opened me up to see how much value was in the third step. Because I I do much better being led than leading. I just do. I'm much better being directed than directing. You know, if we could give, if we could bottle something up for people who are struggling, we would give it out freely. But it isn't that easy because we're the final arbiter. You could have the perfect program, and if the person who's introduced to it is unwilling or not interested, it ain't going to happen. And this is the dilemma. The parasite fucking... It's like this, there's a story I'd like to tell, a little example. Let's say, you know, every year snakes molt their skin. They don't do it. The skin molts, right? The skin falls off. All right, so we're going to look at that event from two points of view. Let's say the self's point of view and, the, and, then, and then the spirit's point of view. All right? So, okay. So the self is the skin, let's say. But it, it thinks it's the snake. So when the skin starts feeling that it's getting time to molt, it starts, it starts jacking into the snake head and saying, go buy a lot of moisturizer. <laughs> Do not go out in the noonday sun. Watch out for that rock. And it's like Armageddon to the fucking skin. Now, from the snake's point of view, it's hallelujah. That a fucking old heavy skin that's, you know, it's pale now. It's not reflecting female snakes. It's getting snagged on rocks. It's making them traveling a lot heavier. It's, it's freaking hallelujah, yeah, with the, the skin falling off. That's what's happening. The spirit is seeing what you think is happening in a totally different light than how the self is seeing it. Yeah? You getting broken down and... And things changing is probably the best fucking thing for you. <laughs> I don't like it either. I spent two years in a drug and alcohol program. Two years. I would have been in mile. mile I did eight milestones. <laughs> Delancey Street, 85 to 87. And, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I thrive in an institutional setting. When people are telling me what to do, I really do good. <laughs> but, and I, when I finally graduated, and I graduated with colors, with honors, they had told me that period of being Mr. Hyde, though rather long, was over, and I was going to be Dr. Jekyll from now on. They didn't have AA in their program. And I was hoping they were right, but I had a strong suspicion they weren't. And when I left Delancey Street, it only took a few days for the parasite to wake back up and then start running advertisements in my head what I'd been missing for two years, which had no facts at all in them. 
wasn't like I'm missing getting shot at, run over by cars, <laughs> this and that. No, I'm missing all those dates I could have been on, which I never went on a date. You know? All the all the lovely little junkets with my junkie friends. We didn't go on trips together. None of that. It was just all made up, and I'd buy it, and I drove down. This is incredible. Two years now, physically sober. I get into my... At this time, I had a Toyota Corolla, this little, the smaller ones back then. And I had left the Lancet Street with a job, with a checking account, with a Toyota Corolla, and I had found a place to live. I had just moved in there that week, and now in Delancey Street, I thought after about a year, I had really, really got specific about the problem, which was narcotics, which was true. But I had made a little amendment in my head. I could probably drink. And I didn't run it by anyone in the program. <laughs> just kept going. And so I get out of Delancey Street, armed with all this misinformation, basically. <laughs> and I move into this place, the poor roommates, when, when Mr. Hyde appeared. Because they, 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 you know, let me move in as Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> Mr. Hyde came roaring out, and I guess it was a surprise to them. So what happened is... I went. I was in my house, and the thing that really flipped me out is time. Yeah. So Delancey Street, I managed my time, and I got out of work at five, and I wasn't going to go to bed by eleven, and that was like six hours. It was like way too much for me to manage. Yeah. So I got that that irritability restless, and it told me what to do. It says, "Hey, let's go down to the old bar, Rose and Thistle, in Polk, in California." We used to call it the Nose and Sniffle back then. <laughs> so I went there. I hadn't been there for two years. I walk in. On with this idea, I can drink, and I go in, I go up to the bar, I, and I'm thinking the bartender's been getting my newsletter, and that I should not be served alcohol, but he doesn't remember me, and I order, I ask for a beer, and he, I give him money, he gives me a beer, I drink the beer, nothing happens, I have impunity, not the AA police didn't rush in, nothing, so I order another beer, drink it, and halfway through, I want more, yeah? which is a big lesson I learned. See, narcotics may be way far away, but if I drink, I'm going to get loaded very quickly. That's how it goes. So, because that's how it went, basically. So I got. So therefore, I want more, and it could be more alcohol, whatever more is for you. And I'm looking around the bar to see if some guy's selling more that used to sell more, and he's still selling more. He had a franchise at the Rose and Thistle, <laughs> and I kissed his ass enough, which is amazing. If you're a buyer of product, you have to kiss so much ass to get it, but whatever. So I buy the stuff, I go into my Toyota, and I do a line of it, and it's like, it was like the movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson at the end, where he goes through the bathroom door, he is Johnny, just like that. The parasite woke up, right, pushed me over to the passenger side, took me on a 10-month run, because I had two years of health, yep. And, you know, that word run is very, very, it's a misnomer because if you've ever been on one, you're walking gingerly in a few weeks and then you're usually limping. Then <laughs> 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 you're being <laughs> crawling and then you're dragged back to that place we all know so well. You know, pitiful and comprehensible demoralization. It's just mind-boggling. How could have this happened again? So what happened was, ten months... I go out one night, St. Patrick's Day in San Francisco. I lose my friend's car that night. He almost beats the shit out of me. I end up, I don't know what happened. I end up going north. I don't know how I got there. And I come to out of a blackout in a trailer park next to this hang gliding park in uh, Calistoga, about two hours north of San Francisco. And I'm sitting in a trailer, and there's a little... TV, and there's a Western movie on, and I'm drinking a bottle of Royal Gate Vodka. I don't know if you have that here. We have it in the West Coast. You must have it. the same fucking thing with a different title. It's like 80 cents a pint. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it isn't like a very rare quality of vodka. <laughs> it's like funny, generic vodka, and they put a different thing on it everywhere. So whatever. So he, we're passing his bottle back and forth, and... Um, and I was just at a regular day at the office. I had had three, um, three months in Project Return in the Bronx when I was young. I was two years in Delancey Street. I'd been to jail quite a lot. I'd been run over twice in one night. I'd overdosed quite a lot. All these things, nothing ever brought me to any kind of surrender. 
You know, the circumstances didn't do it. So it was a regular day at the office. I just was trying to stay loaded until I could get high, you know, to the do drugs. So that's what, that seemed to be what was going on. And then suddenly the whole thing changed. Suddenly something happened. That streaming in my head that sounded like me it was like one of those emergency breakthroughs. You know, this is an emergency. We're checking the emergency. <laughs> it just stopped the thing for about four minutes. And some information downloaded that wasn't there a second ago, which was really like a CNN newsflash, just a headline, and it was, I'm fucked, really. And I'd been fucked for quite a while in most people's eyes, but it hadn't sunk through. It hadn't gone to the innermost. And that's what happened. And I guess life realized it wasn't going to be able to break through this fucking self-centeredness to get to the innermost by getting run over and shot at. Well, we're going to have to have a divine intervention. So it just downloaded in me, went somewhere. It didn't get caught in this little maelstrom about me. Because I admitted many times I'm an addict and alcoholic you know, to get drinks and drugs. So it gone somewhere else. I didn't know there was a somewhere else, but it did. And there was just a sober assessment that I'm fucked. And then what happened was incredible. Next thing was, you go to the phone booth and call Delancey Street, see if they'll take you back. So I did. I went, I started take, following what was being downloaded, and I went to the phone booth, I called Delancey Street, and they had been getting my newsletter for the last 10 months, and they said, no, you can't come in, you can come back in a month, and we'll interview you, and you, maybe you'll get in, maybe you won't. And then I, because this happened, some honesty had also downloaded, and I told them the first honest thing I'd said in 10 months, and that is, I don't have a month, you know. I knew it was quite terminal, something very bad was going to happen. But actually, something really good happened, which is really cool. See how wrong you are? Because <laughs> I really thought something really bad was going to happen. But really, it was the pregnant storm of goodness coming into my bleak horizon. <laughs> so, 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 so I called up a, a woman who I used to, I knew, this nurse. Of course, people like me always go out with nurses. <laughs> There's something there, but it's true. Some of my friends went out with nurses. So, so I called this nurse up, and I must have sounded very humble, and I asked her, could you help me? And she'd helped me many times. So she said, all right, Paul, I'm going to drive up and get you. So she, she would get off the phone, and now you would think everything would be great, but it didn't. In an hour and a half, you know, I forgot that miraculous recovery, and I wanted to get loaded again. And so she came, picked me up, and I was in that, I was underneath really having to fight the Mount Everest of old drug addicts, which is wanting to get high and having no money. You know, it's a very difficult thing. So I'm trying to convince her, hey, let's, let's get some coke and get some beer and get the dirty magazines. We'll rent the hotel room. And she had done that equation many times with me. Hadn't been that satisfying for her. So she said, no, we're not doing that tonight, Paul. She says... If you want a place to stay tonight, which is what I wanted, she says, you have to go to an AA meeting. And I had actually never even heard of AA, really. It was just insane. Yeah? And so I said, oh, and to me, it sounded just like the deal Delancey Street offered me, a place to stay, but they wanted a two-year commitment. She's asking for an hour. So I said, fucking, this is progress. So I said, yes, I'll go. <laughs> so she took me to a men's meeting. She dropped me off, and she was going to pick me up at night. And I went into this men's meeting at Salvation Army, San Francisco uh, Army in Valencia. And I sat, sat there, and first thing that started happening, I started feeling hope, you know. And I didn't even know what hope was. It had been missing so long, but I knew... It was, it, I could tell it was different than the hopelessness, and it allowed me to feel how hopeless I was. Man, I was definitely hopeless. So what happened is that I went home that night, and a miracle actually happened. I went to sleep. The next morning I woke up, and that incredible urge to get high or to escape was, was dimmed down. And I could have other thoughts, and I said, I'd better call this AA and find out if there's an early meeting, because I can't wait till 8 o'clock. I won't make it, you know? So I called up the AA hotline, and they said, yeah, there's a meeting at 12, right around the corner. And I started going there, and I haven't stopped in 28 years. Yeah. So I saw, because for me, the first step, to me, the first step is a reflection of before you get sober, yes? You're reflecting on 
what was going on before. The second step to me, like they say in the book, is a reflection on after you get sober. You trust in the process. It seems to be working, so you come to believe that something greater than you is restoring you to sanity because you haven't drank in eight weeks. It's a totally pure observation to me, the second step. You just see AA's working. And that, that motivates you to want to do the third step because, hey, I'd like to have more of this working. I'm getting, I'm ha- you know, I'm sort of liking this working. <laughs> so that's what happened. I came in. So I had been, when I was in Delancey Street for two years and I had left it, I didn't like the people there. I didn't like the president or the way they did things. But I had to admit that my life was better than when they were running it when it didn't ever do with me running it. So I had the spirit of the third step already. And all of us have surrendered to tons of things. We surrendered to the police. We surrendered to relationships. We surrendered to drugs and alcohol. And we're already surrendered to the parasite. So surrender is not a foreign fucking thing. We've been doing it quite a lot. It's just what's going to produce the effect of the surrender isn't the surrender, but what you surrender to. Yeah. That's why the ha- that's how the effect's going to be produced. It's not the surrender. It's the surrender, but through the vehicle. Through the right vehicle, it can be awesome. To the Back to the parasite, it's fucking imprisonment. Enslavement worse. Yeah? You're enslaved to the self. So, all right? So, I went in there. So, I had the feeling of the first... The first, the first step was obvious, that I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs. But what I found now, the most important aspect is the second part of it, which is the unmanageability. Because the way it sounded to me in the first step, it sounded like my drinking and using produced the unmanageability. I like it much better in the thing and how it works at the end of the 12 steps, where it says the three pertinent facts that we have to be convinced of. And it says that we are alcoholics and cannot manage our own life. You see? So it's the alcoholism, not the alcohol, the ism, the parasite that is the unmanageable quality. And how does it demonstrate is that we're trying to manage like crazy. So our trying to manage our life produces the unmanageability. Yeah. So that to me, that made a whole fucking lot of sense. So the first step was clear. The second step, I observed, hey, I haven't drank in eight weeks. Yeah, that's the first time in so many years. I come, I've, I'm, I'm coming to believe a power greater than me has restored me for, to sanity about that, the insanity that precedes the first drink. It was urban. So then the third step, yeah, let's do it. And it says to turn your will over to the care of a higher power, of your own understanding. And after a few years, I saw it differently. I saw it. I'm going to turn my will life over to the care of a higher power of, of its own understanding. I don't want to limit it by my understanding of it. I'd like to be fucking surprised by its understanding of the situation. Because it's got a much wider view. So to me, it turned from of my own understanding to, the, it's, to God's own understanding of itself. Or the higher power's own understanding of itself. That's workable for me. Yeah? So the fourth step... Again, we're going to just look at, we're going to take a search on whatever it is, moral inventory of ourselves. But really, it's an inventory on self, basically, on the parasite. Because we want to, we want to be able, by checking, to seeing the patterns of how it defeated us, the mechanism of the defeat will point to what defeated us. And if you truly see it clearly, you'll see it's not you. And then the possibility of true freedom from it becomes available. But most of us are still trying to be free as that which is bonding us. We want to be free as the self, but we need to be free from the self. The free as the self won't work. That's why we have that cryptic statement, self can't get out of self. In Buddhism, they use it in a different way. They say, you can't use the Buddha... The Buddhahood to seek the Buddha. Yeah? Now, if you weren't the Buddha, it would be a really maybe a great idea to seek the Buddha, but this statement is implying you're the Buddha already, and by seeking for the Buddha, you're going to disguise or hide that fact from yourself. Yeah? They're both saying that the Spirit is already inherently there. It's always available at all times, no requirement necessary. We have been, we have bought into a set of requirements 
that the parasite set up. We think that God that's ever present is not here. When you were a kid, did you? I was a Catholic. We went to Catholic school, and they'd always pound this into it, like before you went into first grade. The three qualities of God: He's omnipresent, meaning He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all knowing, and He's omni something, and He's omnipotent, all powerful. Then why, if He's everywhere, She's everywhere, why aren't we running into it? <laughs> if we're rubbing shoulders all day, why is it the least sense we have all fucking day? We're located at the same place. We're somewhere and everywhere right now. <laughs> there must be a, a, a stealthing or a masking or a cloaking device going on, which is the parasite. It's like living with saran wrap. So here you are, you have eyes to see, but let's say you have a wrap of saran wrap. All right, now you still see pretty good. Then second one, you can still basically legally say you're seeing, but you wouldn't be one of driving. With, and then three, and then four, and five. That's the cocoon of the parasite. It's perceptual and in the thought system. It affects how you look at things, and it definitely affects how you think about things. So we don't, we're not seeing clearly. And when we turn around to try to find ourselves, we're looking from that fucking, that, that distortion. The last thing I wanted to do was find myself. I wanted to fucking escape from myself every day. That was the whole point. I got high to get out of me. So step four, we just do a searching inventory. What do I write? I write the common manifestations of self in my life. Resentment, fears, and harming other pe people in the pursuit of what I want, looking at the sexual arena. You know. Those are the common ones, yeah? But they're not my manifestations. They're my, not my expressions. They're self's expressions. Why the hell do we keep calling them ours? Because we're in the act of being identified with the parasite. So its expressions, we call our expressions. How the, how the hell are you going to get rid of our expressions without getting rid of you? You're not. But you can get rid of a foreign installment's expressions and keep you completely intact. The tumor can be removed and there's not going to be any harm done to the patient. So the fourth to me is the looking at Three of the common manifestations of self in one's life to see, so by seeing the fruit, it will point to the tree. You'll realize, and this is what happened with me. My mind opened up and I saw that statement, being convinced that self manifested in various ways and was defeated us. I saw self as a foreign installment, as a parasite, as an other. And as soon as I could see it that way, the next thing that became available that was always possible but wasn't available was, I can be free from it. But if you're identified with the problem, you will be looking at freedom as the problem. You'll want to be free as the problem. And it's not going to fucking happen. The snake isn't going to become a pet. It's going to fucking bite you. So the fifth step... I want to have a trinity. I want to share with another person and with the spirit, the higher power. It's not about just two people, it's three. It's me, the other person, and the power. And then I tell them, we go over how I've been defeated by self, yeah? showing the patterns. So what happens? Right? Six and seven is, I start seeing the pattern, patterns instead of looking from them. I see them. And when I see them, I can go, hey God, I'm entirely ready to have this removed, and I humbly ask you to remove it. And, you know, considering we all have the same parasite, so when you share something that may hit something in me, I, I do six and seven. I do it at meetings quite a lot. I'm listening to people describe me alcoholism, and alcoholism isn't singular. So when I hear it, it may not be a, a, an aspect now or yet in me, but it has the possibility. I hear it, it has a little twinge in me. I, I say, hey, I'm, it's best to catch it right when it's coming out of the oven. It's, it's not going to work if it's like CSI, like a forensic unit. It's not, you know, it's dead, it's neutered. You want to catch when the defect, when the selfing is, you know, pitching another loaf, you know, right in your life. <laughs> you want to catch it. You want to see it. By seeing it, there's a possibility of it changing. Yes? 
and you can't produce you can't produce the change. But if you, I'm entirely ready to, for this power to change it. I say reconfigure because to me it's energy. Yeah. So I say, hey, I'm entirely ready for this to be reconfigured, and I ask that power to do it. And guess what? It does. And I find there's more juice at a meeting because it says in tradition too, there's a loving God that's expressing itself in our group conscience. There's a lot of mojo here. Like, really, singularly, we could all be seen as assholes, but when we get together, we produce a sweet perfume. At a meeting. We do, don't we? I mean, I may not feel as good if I just met you and for an hour, but when I meet all of you for an hour, I feel great when I leave. That's not, that's not us. It's us being as a magnifying to the love of that power. And don't think that there isn't grace in AA. AA is all about grace. It was a download in 1935, and it's fucking still a download. All it needs is a little, a modicum of willingness, and it can take you a long, long way. So six and seven, to me, are the most workable steps now in 28 years. Those are the ones, because the more it's going to be revealed, and it's not going to be revealed about you, that's being. It's going to, it, what's going to be revealed is what you're not, so that you can see it. Yeah. So seven, eight is just making a list. How hard is that? Nine is making amends as much as I can personally and doing it. And to me, amend just means change. And I would never make an amend until I was in AA because now I have an agent of change in my life. You know, as when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. When I have a commitment, I actually show up for it. The dilemma is powerlessness. Yeah. Now I have power. How do I have the power? By staying in the admittance of powerlessness. I see people say, man, I'm going to get it together. I'm just going to manage everything better. My solution is I admit I can't manage. I stay in the admittance of my inability to manage. I am overwhelmed every fucking day. And so in that admittance of powerlessness, I never experience powerlessness. When you're exerting power you don't have, you're going to experience powerlessness. Experiencing powerlessness is frustration, exasperation, resentments, all this shit. That comes from trying to exert power when you don't have any. If you admit you're powerless, you're going to have tons of power. And I mean a never-ending source of it, because you're not generating it, it's generating you. So to me, step nine, I had conveniently avoided fucking so many people... And then, I'll give you one example. I, came, I was in AA for a year. I got the whole disease aspect of it because if, if we are truly powerless over alcohol, then we are powerless over the effects we demonstrated when we were under the influence. And right now, the parasite, its greatest binding is guilt and shame. And it's based on acts that it provoked it, but you have claimed to be you did it. So the shame and guilt that's constantly being harvested right now is a fuck. It's a food for the parasite, and it's being harvested by the parasite. Yes, we're accountable, but you are not responsible if you are in a state of powerlessness. It's like when if you're dancing with a gorilla, you're going to stop when it wants to stop. Yeah, powerless means powerless. So so nine, man. So suddenly I was at my I was with my friend. Who I, we used to ride motorcycles, and I had my fairy princess, which who I wanted to impress, and he was with his girlfriend. We went back to his apartment, parked the bikes, we're going up the stairs, and this Asian lady comes down, she has paint all over her jeans, and we look at her, and we go in. Then my friend goes back down, he comes back up, and he says, hey, my neighbor, that lady, wants to talk to you, and I'm a house painter, so I thought... She, he, she, you know, she would want some advice how to paint. So she comes into the living room, and we're all sitting there trying to look really cool. And then she says, "Hello, Paul." And I go, "What?" She says, "Don't you remember me?" I go, "No." She says, "You owe me five hundred dollars." What? And, so <laughs> <laughs> and you would have thought by that fucking, you know, revealing situation. Guilt and shame would have kicked up, but it didn't at all, because I had gotten the disease that I would have done anything to anyone unless you could physically stop me. <laughs> that was it. I was fucking... I had been taken over, and the driver, you don't know, it's called me, but it ain't me. 
It's the one that fucking went all through all the lights. It did all that shit. Yeah. So I had that sense, and therefore my pants were pulled down, and I was fine with it. But then I started sending her checks, and I said, the only reason why you're seeing any of this money is because I'm in AA. <laughs> All right, so that's like nine. So step ten is to continue to take personal inventory. You want to check out if there's a lot of expressions of self happening in your life, because then the parasite's starting to wake up. And you've got to maybe, instead of going to one meeting a week, you should go to three or four meetings a week. You're going to have to kick up the maintenance program, yeah, until you get to that sweet spot where it's subdued. So we do 10. And then 11 is to, you know, first of all, you, in 11 starts with an inventory also. Because if I'm shooting coke, I'm not going to sit down and meditate. Yeah? <laughs> if I have tons of resentments, you're not going to detect connect to the, you know, K-Spirit station. You're going to get K-Paul and fuck you and all that. So we have to make sure the house is somewhat clean, then we can sit and be ready for the master or the host to come in. Yes? Yeah, yes, yes. So to me, it says prayer or meditation, but it can be anything you love. Surfing, hiking, whatever. Staring, go, sitting out in nature like today. There's so many places where that conscious contact will be accented or emphasized. Yeah? Step, so that's, and then step 12 is just, you're going to have a spiritual awakening. And what are you going to wake up to? Awakening to spiritual awakening. You're spiritually awake right now. But we're going to have a spiritual awakening that will make that obvious to us. And then we're going to, after that, we're going to keep on, you know, practice these principles and try to carry the message to other people who suffer from the same fucking parasite. Because I know what it's like to be occupied by the parasite because it's the same parasite. And that's the program. And a lot more service and stuff like that. You can't have it unless you give it away. But I believe if you're giving it away, you'll have it. If you set, put you in a position to be of service, something's going to come through you. Because the message is much more important than all the messengers. So? Good news to me. <laughs> that covered a lot, eh? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Okay. That was fine. All right, great. All right, thank you. Hey, we have shirts and books for sale. Are there books there? So? If you enjoy it. Nice to meet you. See you. Nice to see you. Man. Nice to see you again, bro. Six tomorrow. Yes. Take the three punch one. Thank you very much. Welcome. What's your name? David. David. Such as I was just uh, introduced to by a therapist I've seen lately, and um, last time I was going online to listen to one of your YouTube videos. So, you're in New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> right, right here. Yeah, Doma. Yeah, right Doma. Right Yeah, so it was good. It was uh, a lot of game. Good. Yeah. I hope to see you tomorrow. We're here tomorrow, please. Yeah, you know what? I think I will be back tomorrow night. Yeah, but it's good to get the spiritual subpoena served a few times. So yeah. Yeah. It's good. I know. Yeah. 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 Ye